Welcome to Peak Mind. I'm your host, Michael Trainer, and I'm thrilled to be releasing for you an epic episode with Dr. Michael Bruce. Dr. Bruce, I saw speak and was absolutely blown away. He is one of the foremost authorities on sleep. He's known as the Sleep Doctor. And in this episode, he goes into depth about all the things you need to do to optimize your sleep. Some of them very much um, not what is talked about in conventional uh, circles. So I think you'll get a tremendous amount of value from this episode. You know, we're, we're finding more and more that the key to health, the key to life, the key to cognition uh, is sleep. Sleep is where your brain takes out the trash. Uh, you know, the, the only thing that is perhaps more essential is, uh, you know, clean air and water. Um, after that, sleep uh, is uh, about as uh, important as it gets. And many of us just don't know how to go about optimizing our sleep. So in this episode, we go into some of the myths as it relates to sleep. Uh, he shares tips on how to opt- both optimize the sleep you have as well as optimize the time when you sleep. We talk about um, basically how to deepen your, your REM sleep, your stage three and four sleep, so that even if you're sh- sleeping less, you're sleeping with higher quality and are more rested. We talk about uh, sleep and the brain. We talk about all the corollaries of how sleep is, is basically linked to success in life. And he shares a great number of tips, very, very pragmatic tips on how to personalize your own sleep plan for optimal health and performance. So this is one of my uh, favorite episodes to date. Um, If you're enjoying the podcast, please go ahead and uh, leave us a five-star review. Uh, You can be our five-star review of the week. And also it's helping us to grow the community because the algorithm favors shows that are well-reviewed. So your, your, your time and attention means the world to me. We've crossed over well over 200 five-star reviews, and I'm super, super grateful. This week's review of the week comes from Team Check It. It reads, Michael is extremely insightful, intelligent, and empathetic. I love the people that he interviews on the podcast and the self-improvement and self-awareness that each guest shares. I'm looking forward to learning more this year. Thanks, Team Check It, for the five-star review. Uh, very, very grateful um, for all of your guys' feedback, and it's it's building this community and uh, and awareness around all the ways that we can collectively optimize our health and our lives. So, I'm always grateful. I want to quickly uh, give thanks to our two partners this week, two of my uh, preferred companies that I that I use and think you could get a lot of value out of. The first is Lifecycle. Lifecycle is an incredibly high-quality mushroom tonic that you can use to optimize a variety of areas of your life. They have everything from lion's mane to chaga to shiitake, um, which mushrooms have been used for thousands and thousands of years and are just now seeing a bit of a resurgence in Western culture. And the efficacy is profound. I take lion's mane for optimal sleep, actually, and cognition. Um, I find I do five drops of their uh, lion's mane tonic, and I'm both getting higher quality and longer stage three, four, and three and four sleep or, or REM sleep. And I'm also noticing anecdotally uh, more lucid dreams. Um, 
uh, I did an interview actually with the founder, uh, Julian Mitchell, and you can delve deeply into the efficacy of each mushroom uh, on the Peak Mind episode around the, the, the magic of mushrooms. So ch- check it out um, in the archives, and I think you'll find tremendous value. Uh, Lifecycle, L-I-F-E-C-Y-K-E-L.com, and put in Peak Mind 20 for 20% off your order. Again, that's Lifecycle.com, Peak Mind 20. This episode is also brought to you by ButcherBox. ButcherBox is my go-to source for healthy, humanely raised, antibiotic, uh, and hormone-free meats. They have uh, grass-fed and grass-finished beef. They have organic chicken. They have uh, wild-caught Alaskan salmon. Very, very um, high quality um, and integrity in terms of if you are a meat eater. Um, they, they have a great sourcing and they also um, ship. So, you know, for those in a food desert where you're, you're you know, you're only exposed to conventional meats, um, you know, grain fed, factory farmed, you know, that, it's just really, really uh, poor quality. And uh, it, it, for me, it's important to think about uh, for those uh, meat eaters out there, think about the integrity of that meat and, um, you know, how it was raised and, and, and getting that super high quality antibiotic and hormone free, uh, meat. So, uh, you can check them out, butcherbox.com, B-U-T-C-H-E-R-B-O-X.com. And if you put in peak mind at checkout, you not only get a, a, a fat discount, but they are running different promotions all the time. So oftentimes you'll get, uh, a bunch of, uh, free, uh, products in your first box. So check them out, butcherbox.com peak mind at checkout and without further ado it's my great pleasure to introduce dr michael bruce all right i'm here with uh dr michael bruce it's an absolute pleasure to be with you my friend thanks for having me i'm stoked to be here yeah so we met for context for the audience we met i i heard you giving a talk at our mutual friend craig clements uh rising glenn Uh, he does kind of a ted style event with Epic speakers, and I um, have been intrigued by sleep for some time. Have had sleep challenges in the past. Okay, um, have done all the multitude of tests, many with doctors who have been on the show, from Doctor, you know, Doctor Mark Hyman. I just had Doctor G on. I've tested, you know, everything from mold to heavy metals. I did have some mold exposure, um, which I felt like was compromising my sleep. Have been playing with things like lion's mane lately because folks like Dave, our you know, mutual friend Dave Asprey has said it's increased his REM sleep, which I've also uh, been finding with the sleep tracking. But I, for the audience, I was like, I need to get one of the four most authorities on sleep which you are <laughs> on the pl- in the pl- on the planet here so that we can break down sort of the myths and then Absolutely. the protocols sure. to maximizing the efficacy of your sleep yeah, no, it's it's absolutely my pleasure to be here. And we keep ending up at the same parties. <laughs> I, and yeah. we only live 25 minutes apart. So I'm super glad to be here. And yeah. uh, I'm happy to drop some knowledge and talk with people about sleep and answer all of your questions for sure. Thanks, man. Uh, so I appreciate it, first of all. Um, I, so in my research, one of the things, you have certain aspects uh, that you talk about as it relates to sleep uh-huh. that aren't necessarily what I would call common knowledge sure. or even um, 
common conceptions. And we'll get we'll go deeper into this, I think, later, because you'll work just for context for the audience. I mean, you'll work with all, you know, ultra high performing, you know, athletes to, you know, I think royalty in the Middle yeah. East to a, a variety of like e- extraordinary performers to customize sleep protocols. Correct. Uh, for those who are listening, can you give us just a little bit of background about sort of why why sleep became your Sure. If you will, oh, deep yeah. resonance and then and then go a little bit into some of the tenets of of what is necessary for optimal sleeping. Sure. Um, so first of all, thanks. Yeah, uh, I'm excited to be here. And I think this is a great question. And so it wasn't like I woke up one day and said, hey, I want to be a sleep doctor. Yeah. Right. Like it doesn't happen that way. And to be fair, when I was in school, so I'm 51. So we're talking now literally, you know, almost 30 years ago, like sleep doctors really weren't a thing, right? And so I got my PhD in clinical psychology, um, and uh, I, it was kind of interesting. So during clinical psychology, you do a residency, somewhat similar to what a medical resident does, but it's right. a one-year deal, and you have rotations. And so this is kind of the funny part. I had no interest. I didn't even know sleep was a thing. I was a sports psychology guy. So all I wanted to do was work with athletes and make them throw faster and run, you know, do all this other great stuff. And I thought this would be the coolest thing on earth. Well, I went to a top 20 program, University of Georgia. But, I mean, it wasn't like Harvard or Yale or Princeton. The place that I wanted to go to for my residency only took the top. The Harvards and the Princetons and the Yales and stuff like that. Get it. Top 20 program, not Harvard. So, but they had a sleep track. And I had worked my way through graduate school in the electrophysiology department. So I'm the guy that likes to take shit apart yeah. and put it back together and understand, like, how it works. Like, I'm kind of wonky. Like, I can sit with, you know, a, a, a device, right, and just have a good time. And that's kind of my thing. And, well, it turns out that the machines that I've been working on for my entire graduate school career were the exact same machines used in the sleep lab. So I sold myself as a sleep guy because I figured – well, I'll get into the program and then I'll just transfer. Yeah. Right? Because just because you told me I'm not going to be in your program doesn't mean I'm not going to be in your program. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, you don't know who you're you dealing with here. Door, baby. Exactly. Yep, I love it. And so I sold myself as a sleep guy and I started my rotation. And literally on the third day, I absolutely fell in love with clinical sleep medicine and I knew that's where I wanted to be. Dude, I help people like this. Yeah. It's unbelievable how quickly you can help somebody with their sleep, uh, depending upon what the situation is, right? So people with undiagnosed sleep apnea, I can literally change their lives, change their lives in 24 to 48 hours sometimes. Like it's, it's unbelievable. And as a doc, you know, you don't get to see a lot of that. Right. You know, especially as a clinical psychologist. I mean, it could be weeks, months, years before, before you see any treatment gains with a depressed patient, an anxious patient, things like that. And so this was a really cool way to keep my skill set but work a little bit more on the medical side of things. And so for the first six years of my career, I worked in an MD office. And so I worked with a group of uh, four pulmonologists, and I ran the sleep labs, and um, we did it all. We saw everything you could possibly imagine. I mean, everything from narcolepsy and restless legs to sleep apnea to all of these different things. And during that period of time, I was very fortunate. One of my close friends became a vice president of a company called Medscape, which eventually became WebMD. And he was like, dude, we don't have anybody on the sleep side of this thing. Are you interested? And I was like, sure. So I just started writing content for WebMD. Well, fast forward 15 years later, I was still the WebMD sleep expert. And so I'd been writing content for literally 15 years for them. And when you're on WebMD, especially in the early days, they did a lot of media. 
around the docs that they had that, that were their experts. So that was how I got involved in all of the media stuff that I do. I mean, look, I've been su super lucky. I've had plenty of media training, and I've learned how to do that whole thing. But the topic is one that is, ever they call it evergreen, because yeah. there's never a time where somebody doesn't want to learn something about their sleep. Exactly. You know, which has really turned out to be very favorable for me. And to be fair, I'm kind of a ham anyway, and I like being on camera, and I like <laughs> doing podcasts and this kind of fun. I love talking about the topic, because it's, I, I'm perpetually learning about it. Like there's some, there's something new every day on my, on the way over here, I was talking with a group that uh, does red light therapy Yeah, and they were highly interested in having me come in and help them do clinical trials to prove how red light therapy affects your sleep. That's tailor made for somebody like me because yes. I'm a science guy, right? I mean, Got I'm a hardcore. Red light right here. Right. Actually. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And so like I, I'm, I'm in it to win it. Like what I've discovered is, and, and having been in the sleep universe as a sleep doc, um, for quite a long time, I believe that there's two different sides to this problem. There are sleep disorders, yep. apnea, narcolepsy, even in some cases insomnia. But I believe there's disordered sleep, mm. right? And so disordered sleep is, it's not a formal diagnosis on that side of things. But what it is, is it's, I went into that room in the back of the house and I got somewhere between five and nine hours and I woke up and I feel like, shit, Michael, what do I right, do? Right, right. That's the area that I've spent the last close to 10 years concentrating on, really trying to understand things like, does red light therapy work? Um, how do we track sleep? Um, you know, what is real, is magnesium make a difference? You know, these kind of things. So actionable things that, that listeners and viewers can really say, okay, I can do that. Yes. You know, I'm not interested in massive, big lifestyle changes because quite frankly, nobody does them. Right. Right. If I was the guy that said, go into the back of the house, close the door at eight o'clock at night in a pitch black room, make it freezing cold and don't come out until, you know, nine o'clock the next morning. Who's going to listen to that? <laughs> not very many people. Nobody. Yeah. Right. And so what my goal has always been is to is to have sleep be part of your lifestyle, part mm. of your conversation and just being aware of it during the daytime to set yourself up for a good night's sleep. It's really not that tough. You know, the, the best part about what I do is everybody already knows how to do it. Yes. Right? They just forgot. Or some lifestyle thing has gotten in the way. You know, maybe they drink too much caffeine. Maybe they, uh, maybe they have more alcohol in the evenings. Maybe they've got a lot of blue light going on in the, at night. There's a lot of very simple things that can actually make a pretty perceived difference. Let's, so this is a really interesting distinction that you draw because I think as you're talking, it occurred to me that I think for many, including myself for a long period of time, Actually, until I really stopped, cut out alcohol, mm -hmm. I didn't really think about, of course, I knew that there were certain times where it was quality sleep. But to me, I would yeah. almost distinguish like, oh, yeah, like quality sleep is like me being in my bed versus being like on a red eye on, a, you know, on a, in right. coach on an airplane. Right. right, like, right, right. There's obviously a very clear distinction. distinction. But overall, I think many people, unless you're like dramatically uncomfortable, I think feel like, oh, you know, if I get a certain quantity of sleep exactly that's right. enough right? right like oh okay well i got eight hours i'm good yeah. right yeah. sleep is not a quantity e game. exactly okay great so it can you not. talk about the quality game as it relates yeah. to sleep like what are core tenants to quality sleep well first i'm, I'm going to address the quantity issue really quickly okay, great. In, a, in a way that will make a lot of sense to a lot of people so here's the thing that's fascinating eight hours is a myth Mm. Right, let's just be super clear about that. Yeah. Very few people need actually eight hours, and I'll explain why. Interesting. So the average sleep cycle is approximately 90 minutes long, yep. and the average individual has five of those cycles. So five times 90 is 450 minutes. If you divide that by 60 to get hours, it's 7.5 hours. Mm. So the math doesn't even work for eight hours. Like, 
the average math makes no sense for this recommendation of eight hours. So I kind of looked back to see, well, what, where did this recommendation come from? So it turns out there was a study done at Stanford in the 50s, I think it was, um, and they put some, a couple of people in these chambers and they said, stay in there as long as you want, sleep as long as you want, and they left them there for 30 days. I mean, they fed them, they had bathrooms and all that kind of mm. stuff. At, at the end of this whole trial period, they found that they slept roughly eight hours and plus or minus 13 minutes, this group of people from the 50s. And they took that recommendation and it's now 2020. So we're, we're literally talking about a 70-year-old recommendation here. So it's time to update. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll say. Right? You know, that recommendation. Um, you know, I don't like to – I mean, I, I respect history, but I think things have changed quite a bit since then. Yes. Right? And so what I've discovered is, is that there are different levels of sleep for people. And the amount doesn't matter nearly as much as the quality does, right? And so, Michael, what do you, what do you mean by quality sleep? This is a difficult um, question to answer, right? So when we talk about sleep tracking, like a lot of people are now interested in tracking. There's, you know, the Aura Ring, there's the MFIT, there's the Fitbit, there's the Sleep Score, there's all these other, you know, devices for tracking sleep. Here's the problem. None of them are that great, mm-hmm. all right? Because sleep is a complicated process, mm. right? If I ask you how many steps you take, that's a math equation, right? right? I measure the length of your leg. I look at your stride. That's, that's calculus. That's not that hard to figure that out. Yeah. But if I say to you, how did you sleep last night? What are you going to say? A 6? A 10? A 47? Right? Like, it's a difficult metric. And then how do you create that metric? Is it how quickly you fell asleep? Is it how much deep sleep you got? How much REM sleep you got? Is it the number of awakenings? Is it how long at night you were asleep? Is it the number of sleep cycles? Like, I can go on and on. Right. Right? And so nobody's really figured out that qualitative metric yet. But we do have some ideas as to what makes sense. So we want people to fall asleep within a certain period of time. Somewhere between 10 and 20 minutes seems to be the right amount of time it it should take you to fall asleep. Mm. To be fair, if you fall asleep in under five minutes, people are like, oh, I sleep great. I fall asleep, you know, before my head hits the pillow. That's actually not good. Interesting. That's actually a sign of sleep deprivation. Really? Yeah. So if you, if you fall asleep almost in t- instantaneously, you likely have some sleep deprivation. Exactly. Now, to be fair, there are some people that are just genetically gifted fast sleepers, and maybe they've been that way their whole life. But more times than not, if you fall asleep in under five minutes, you probably need more sleep or at least better quality sleep. Mm. And that's kind of what we're talking about here, yeah. right? And so when we start to look at quality sleep, there's a lot of different factors that can be involved. So first of all, I would argue that 25% of all of quality sleep is environmental, mm-hmm. right? So I believe that sleep is a performance activity, right? <laughs> and so if you want to perform, you got to have the right equipment, yep. you got to have the right mindset, just like an athlete would, yeah. right? So it's a skill set, right? And you can absolutely positively attain the skill set and then optimize from there because I know you're all about optimization. 100%, yeah. And so this is, this is kind of where I, this is sort of what's been traveling through my brain and what I've been creating over these years. So when you start to really understand what's going on, like I'm a runner, Right? And so if I go for a run, I can go for a run and flip-flops and cutoffs and with a boombox on my own. But my sure. time's not going to be too good. Right. But if I've got my, my Asics on, my dry fit wear, my good tunes, I'm moving. Like, I'm, I'm moving quick. Right? The exact same thing holds true with sleep. If you have the right equipment and the right environment, you will perform better. Mm. And you will improve that quality of sleep. And then what people will actually discover is quantity doesn't matter. Mm. I sleep... Six hours and 13 minutes almost every night, <laughs> okay? To the nose. I go to bed right at midnight. I wake up at 6.13 without an alarm almost every day, right? Wow. Which is odd. Like, how, you're the sleep doctor, Michael. Like, what are you doing, right? Yeah. So I didn't start that way. I started 
going to bed at midnight and I'd wake up around 7.30, right? So seven and a half hours or so. But because I became so consistent, specifically in my wake-up times, yes. all of a sudden I started waking up earlier and earlier by myself. Like this wasn't – like I, I wasn't going to bed earlier. It's just my sleep consolidated because it was giving me such high-quality sleep because of the consistency of the sleep that I was getting. And by consistency, because you and I have talked uh, before, and you said actually the wake-up time, consistent wake-up time is more important mm -hmm. actually than consistent time of going to sleep, which That's I correct. think is – which is actually – Easier to control, right? <laughs> yes, in, in this life, right? We're all, we, we go out, we have functions, etc. Trying yeah. to be like, okay, 10 p.m. every night, it's a little more challenging. But actually saying, okay, I want to get up at 7, 6, whatever time right. every morning, that, that's more controllable. Well, and you're already doing it roughly five days a week anyway. Yes. Right? Because there's some social concern, whether it's kids or school or work or friends or what have you. Everybody's got a socially determined wake-up time. Right. Just stick to it on Saturday and Sunday. Now, to be fair, if you stay up until 4 o'clock in the morning, I probably don't want you getting up at 6.30. Yes. Right? So there's a limit there. I would say anything over five to five and a half hours is, is kind of where you want to go. Because once you get less sleep than five to five and a half hours of sleep, we really start to see decrements in um, motor skills. Yep. You can't drive a car very well. Yeah, the military actually did a study I saw in 60 Minutes where they said actually compromised sleep is as deleterious as drinking alcohol. <laughs> it is. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, we put sleep-deprived people in driving simulators. And if we, if we just keep if – if they lose one hour of sleep a night for seven days, they're legally drunk behind the wheel. Wow. In these simulators. Like it's pretty amazing when you start to think about it, right? I mean sleep is a big deal. But, of course, we blow it off, right? And we're like, ah, I'll sleep when I'm dead. Yes. I hear that all the time. That's going to happen a lot faster if you don't sleep. If you don't sleep, mm -hmm. right? I tell people all the time, look, there's only a couple things that are more important in life than sleep. You can go for about six minutes without air, mm -hmm. right? You can go for about four days without water. You can go for north of 30 days without food. People do those month-long fasts, things like that. You can only go for about six days without sleep. Mm -hmm. And by the way, by the time you hit that sixth day, you are hallucinating. It, life is not good. No. Right? And it's a mess. Yeah. Right? And so when we think about it from a priority standpoint, we have to start thinking about it during our daytime. So like, okay, what am I doing during the day that can affect the quality of my sleep at night? Because it really is about quality, not about quantity anymore. Yeah. Let, break right? that down. What do you do during the day? Yeah. So number one thing is you look at something like, what well, we already discussed it is waking up at the same time every day. Yep. So that allows a level of circadian consistency. So what do I mean by that? Everybody's got an internal circadian rhythm. This is, uh, there's over 300 of them in the body, by the way. And this is it's kind of similar to hunger. Like you ever notice you're hungry around breakfast time, around lunchtime, around dinner time? That's a circadian rhythm. Same holds true with sleep. Most people get sleepy somewhere between 10 and 11 o'clock at night, and most people get up somewhere between 6.30 and 7.30 in the morning. That's kind of the, the general gist of things. But just understanding that consistent circadian um, consistency turns out to be incredibly important because then your body knows what to do, mm. right? So your body knows, okay, it's midnight. Michael is going to bed around now. Turn on that melatonin faucet. Yeah. And then, okay, Michael has gotten six hours and 13 minutes of sleep or whatever, and he's met the goals that he needed to meet from a body standpoint. Let's wake him up. And that's how it works. Of course, it, I, I wasn't waking up at 6.13, you know, years ago. I was waking up at 7.30, and then it was 7.15, and then it was 7 o'clock. And it's literally just kind of squunched itself down. So consistency is number one. Mm. Number two, let's talk about caffeine, yeah. right? So it's the number one thing that most people use. Uh, and 
to be fair, I don't have a problem with caffeine. I drink caffeine, not every day, but maybe three times a week. Yep. Right. And so here's the thing is a lot of people turn to me and they say, well, or I ask them, I say, well, is the first liquid that passes over your lips when you wake up in the morning caffeinated? Usually about 30 to 40% of people tell me yes. Right. And so let me explain why that's not a great idea. Okay. okay. I'm not saying don't use caffeine. I'm going to tell you when to use it, actually. Great. So here's what's fascinating about caffeine is most people don't know this, but caffeine has a half-life of between six and eight hours. Mm-hmm. Right? So that becomes important for when we stop caffeine. But when we start caffeine, it's very interesting. In order for the brain to pull itself out of an unconscious state, you need two hormones. You need adrenaline and cortisol. And they have to actually be pretty high to pull you out of that state of unconsciousness. If you compare adrenaline and cortisol to caffeine, it's like comparing cocaine to weak tea. Hmm. Okay? Caffeine does almost nothing when your brain is hopped up on cortisol and adrenaline. In fact, most of the people who tell me that the first cup of thing they do is drink a cup of coffee, they tell me they rarely only have one. Mm-hmm. Usually it's two or three because, again, the caffeine is, is already on a super hyper brain. It does you no good. But if you wait just 90 minutes from mm-hmm. the time you open your eyes, so if you wake up at 6.30, if you have a cup of coffee at 8, boom, you will get much bigger bang for your buck. Really? Absolutely. All day long. All day long. So like water, maybe water and lemon when you wake up. And so then... that's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. So here's what's fascinating. Sleep by itself is a dehydrative process. Mm. Most people don't know this. Just the humidity in your breath as you breathe at night, you lose almost a liter of water wow. a night, especially if you're in there for seven, eight, sometimes nine hours, right? And so you wake up in a dehydrated state. The very first thing you should do is grab a room temperature bottle of water. Yep. Um, hopefully it's not a single-use bottle of water, but something that is recyclable or something that you can use on a regular basis. Yeah, and, or from the Berkey. Or from the Berkey, exactly. And down it. Yeah. I mean, chug it, right? The whole thing, 16 to 20 ounces. You want it in you. Because, again, that helps initiate the system. That helps rehydrate. That helps do all of those things. When you put a stimulant right on top of that, the body doesn't really react that well to it. Interesting. Right? Wait 90 minutes and you're in great shape. The second thing you do when you wake up in the morning, get sunlight, right? Mm-hmm. So sunlight turns out to be incredibly, incredibly important. People are like, ah, come on, what are you talking about, sleep doctor, sunlight? Oh, no, no, no. So the sun has multiple effects on our, on our body systems. One of them is it helps us produce vitamin D, mm-hmm. which so many people are very, very inconsistent in terms of their amount of vitamin D that they need. I mean, they're deficient in many cases. Like I practiced in Arizona for 10 years easily 80% of my population was deficient in vitamin D. I mean, Arizona. Arizona? I mean, it's like the valley of the (laughs) sun, right? And, well, I think a lot of it has to do with sunscreen. Um, A lot of it has to do with people just avoid the sun. The sun is not bad, to be fair. Don't walk out, you know, aside when it's 105 degrees outside and expect not to get burned. I get that part. Right. But at the end of the day, sun actually and sunlight does a lot of things. Vitamin D turns out to be a big circadian pacemaker. So right now, I actually take supplemental vitamin D3 every day, every morning, and I feel it has a lot of energy effect on me, but it also helps keep my circadian rhythms consistent, okay? But sunlight turns off the melatonin faucet in your brain, and that's the key for brain fog in the morning. So many people who are listeners are probably like, oh, I hate mornings, Michael. How can you fix that? Light or light therapy will absolutely positively help that far more than caffeine ever will. So when you grab your bottle of water, walk over to the window, yeah. And get 15 minutes to put on a robe, please, right? <laughs> please put on a robe. But go over to that sunlight and get that get those rays, man. Those are really good for your body turning off that faucet, helping keep that circadian consistency going. 
Um, and drinking that water, that is a good morning routine. Yes. I right? like to do my meditation for 10 minutes just as my sun. And I, I feel Perfect. like morning, morning and evening, actually, the sun's intensity. Because I lived in Sri Lanka where the sun was over the equator. So it was very right. intense. Super intense. At noon, I had to be very careful. But also, I don't like to use especially toxic sunscreen. Right, right, but right. I found if I only go out for a certain you know period of time, especially when the sun's on you know more on the horizon, like sunrise mm -hmm. and sunset, uh, it... I feel like I get the benefits of the light, but without having to worry about the burn, so to speak. So here's what I actually do. So this is my own personal kind of weird yeah. routine, right? Is So we've got two dogs that get up right around the same time I do. And one of them is unfortunately very sick. So I have to prepare his medicine and his food and all of that stuff. But what I do is I take the dogs out at around 6.15 in the morning. Like I get up at 6.13 and I grab my bottle of water and I, t I take them downstairs. And if the sun is coming up or if, you know, here in California, it feels like the sun is always up, which is great. Um, I actually go outside and I do a very quick five-minute meditation, center myself. And this, this is going to sound a little weird. And I have no data to support this, but I do it. And I don't know why. It just feels good. Yeah. I take off my shoes and I put my feet on the earth. Yeah. And that grounding, yeah. just feels good. Yeah. You know, like I don't know the data on grounding and I, I can tell you now I'm no scholar in that area, but when I don't put my feet on the earth, I can tell a difference. Yeah. I, I can't explain it, but it just feels good. And I feel I, the same way. I kind of do like a like a breathing, meditative thing, and my dog is literally sitting next to me looking at me like I'm crazy. But now the funny part is I've been doing it for so long, he kind of sits right next to me. Yeah. Like I'm not sure if he's not doing a meditation, you know, or something like that because he's a French bulldog. He's pretty chill anyway. <laughs> um, but uh, that's kind of part of my morning routine, right? And then I do my supplements, and uh, then I start kind of look at starting my day depending upon what I want to do. Um, I also sometimes will do uh, like a cold plunge. Yep. Uh, in the mornings. But to be fair, I don't have a, you know, a, a tub in which to do it. So what I do is I do it in the shower. Yeah, so do I. So what I do is the last minute of my shower, I have the shower head facing my head and it actually hits me literally in the forehead. So yep. it's, it's, I have to really concentrate on my breathing because the waterfall is kind of falling down my face. And I grab the handle and I slowly start to turn it colder. So every 10 seconds, I turn it a little colder, a little colder, a little colder until it's pretty damn cold. And then I... I count to 30 yep and then i just switch it off yeah and let me tell you something dude i am present yes like i am there i am ready to get get it on like let's go what am i doing today because i'm gonna crush it yeah cold is better than coffee for me and i love coffee for sure. but it, for sure. if you want to wake up cold is yeah. where it's at yeah absolutely and that's kind of my morning routine right and so that's that that's how i set my day up mm. and all of those things have beneficial aspects for sleep right yeah. but it's not just about setting up your morning it's about understanding your day and even in, in, on into the evening so when we look at the daytime what are some things that we can do to be promotive of our sleep well yeah. number one if you if you don't need a nap well don't take one yeah right but if you find yourself being sleepy during the daytime there's nothing wrong with a nap the only caveat here is people with insomnia should never nap because it lowers their sleep drive and it makes it even more difficult for them to fall asleep at night. So if you, if you do struggle with sleep, please, please, please don't do naps because it's, you're lowering that sleep drive and we need that sleep drive at night to help force you to go back to bed um, or to fall asleep to begin with. Um, but napping in, in and of itself isn't a bad thing. Again, getting some good sun exposure, but movement is critical mm. for sleep. The single best way for somebody to improve the quality 
of their sleep is with exercise and movement. Now, to be fair, you don't have to run a marathon. Okay. Yeah, what kind of movement is most uh, It could be beneficial. just about anything. You know, we were talking a little bit about the demographic of the people who, who listen yeah. and, and who, who watch this. You don't have to be some crazy athlete. Yeah. You could just park your car further away at work and walk across the parking lot and take the stairs instead of the elevator, and I'm down with that. Mm-hmm. We're talking 10 to 20 minutes of some type of movement if you can. Uh, I'm a big fan of if you've got an hour for lunch – Eat for 20 minutes and go for a walk, Yeah, right? You know, that kind of thing can be really, really helpful for people. And then as you get, as you can, slowly increase it and get, get yourself a little bit more cardiovascular fitness in there and, and really start to get yourself involved because here's what's going to happen. When the quality of your sleep improves, your energy is going to improve. Yeah. When your energy improves, you're going to want to do more stuff, yeah. right? So it's this cool <laughs> cycle that starts to help really kind of snowball and flywheel it to get you going. So definitely want to have some level of movement during your daytime. And then going towards the evening, we start to look at things as well. So I mentioned earlier that caffeine has a half-life of between six and eight hours, mm. right? So I recommend, look, if you're going to drink coffee or any caffeinated beverage, if you can, stop by two, Yeah. right? Because that gives you eight-hour difference. That gives you 10 o'clock at night. And that's about the time that people are starting to settle down to go to sleep. Now, here's the thing. I guarantee you, Michael, there's some people who are listening now and they're like, huh. Sleep doctor. Yeah. He doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> I can have an espresso, cappuccino with dinner, and I can fall right to sleep, okay? I understand that, and I hear that from people all the time. So here's what we've learned is there's actually different caffeine sensitivities. Mm. I've got one patient, if she eats three chocolate kisses, she's up all night. Yeah. i got another one who can eat a three-pound Hershey bar and go straight to bed. Totally. Right? So there's differences Genetic there. markers. Yeah. Absolutely. But here's the thing that I find most interesting is even in the people who can fall asleep with an espresso, cappuccino, or whatever on board, look at the quality mm. of the sleep they're getting because it's crap. Yeah. Right? If I put electrodes on your head, here's what I can show you. You're not getting in stage three, four, which is that physical restorative sleep. Um, caffeine absolutely almost obliterates that. Yeah. So – when you wake up and you're sore and you're stiff and you don't feel good, it might have been the coffee that had something to do yeah. with it. Let's also talk about alcohol, right? Because that's a more of a nighttime event, hopefully, yeah. uh, for most people. <laughs> yeah. I don't know about those one, day, one would hope, day yes. drinkers out there. Yes. You know, Super Bowls be damned, right? Yeah. I understand you know, some special occasions. But generally speaking, when we look at alcohol, we, there's a really big difference between going to sleep and passing out. Yes. Right? We don't like the passing out side of things. But I'm no teetotaler. I, I like bourbon and scotch and the whole thing. So how do we manage this and use this appropriately? So it turns out the human body can uh, digest one alcoholic beverage. It takes about between 45 minutes and an hour, depending upon your size, right? So if you want to have two glasses of wine with dinner, and you're finished with dinner at, let's say, 9, and you're going to bed at 11, you're good to go, dude. Uh-huh. Like, don't worry about it. Do if, you do, like, one water after each wine? Absolutely. That, okay. was, my, that, was, okay, my next, cool. that yeah. was my next advice. Because remember, alcohol is a diuretic. Yeah. So it makes you have to pee. So once you break the seal, you're peeing all night long. Yes. Right? And remember, I just told you, sleep is a dehydrating event. So you don't want to go into sleep dehydrated because it's just going to be even worse. And then, God forbid, you add coffee to that the next morning. Like you're in a massive dehydrated state at that point. You know, that old adage of, oh, give them black coffee in the morning after for a bad eye. Okay. Yes. Now there are some. There is at least two studies to look at the type of water that you should be drinking that can be helpful, especially when alcohol is involved. Turns out coconut water. I've seen two studies on coconut water. <laughs> I think it's the large magnesium and vitamin B content. Yeah. Um, because those are the two of the biggest things that you lose that alcohol kind of pulls out of your body. So I'm I'm usually recommending you know keep some coconut water in your fridge and then before bed you don't need a large glass because that'll make you have to pee. But you know maybe six ounces or so of coconut water um, and having hopefully stopped 
stop drinking the alcohol at some period of time before you're going to bed, whether that's hour, two hours, or even three hours, depending upon the number of beverages, right? Yeah. And so once we kind of get through those aspects, then we start to think again about exercise because a lot of people, they're working all day. Yep. So when can, they, when can they work out? A lot of people work out after work. So is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? So when I was at the University of Georgia, which is where I, I studied, got my PhD, uh, and I said I'm a runner, um, I, I, would do, I would be teaching during the day. I would be running studies on into the evening. I had almost no time to run. So I'd get home at like midnight, mm. and that's when I'd go for my run because, to be clear, if I don't have some form of exercise during the day, my daughter says I turn into what's called a grumpy fish. Okay, <laughs> we'll let everybody define I that. that. World, yeah. Yes, we'll yeah. everybody let everybody define that one for themselves. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and what I discovered was is that there are two different types of people when it comes to exercise. There are some people that chill out hmm. after exercise and it kind of puts them in like a zen sort of relaxed state. And then there are some people who get energy. I'm a chill out kind of guy. Hmm. I really have a tendency to relax more after exercise, and so exercise doesn't affect me that much. But to be fair, I won't exercise within about two to three hours of bed. And here's why. Your core body temp your sleep cycle follows your core body temperature cycle. Mm. So as your core body temperature rises, 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 at about 10.30 at night, it hits a peak and then it drops. That drop is a signal to your brain to release melatonin, mm -hmm. right? Remember, melatonin is that key that starts the engine for sleep. It's not the only thing you need, but your brain has got to be producing it in order for sleep, the sleep process to start, right? And so what we need is we need that drop in core body temperature. Well, if you've been doing a spin class for an hour right before bed, your core body temperature is jacked to high heaven. Yeah. You're never going to cool down enough. That's also another reason, by the way, that we recommend cooler environments, right? So somewhere between 68 and 72 degrees is like the ideal, if you will, uh, ambient temperature for a bedroom. But let's be fair. Look, I lived in Arizona for 10 years. If we could cool our house to 72 degrees, I'd have no money left, right? Because <laughs> it would be so damn expensive. So about 20, 25 degrees off the daily high, yep. especially during the summertime. During the wintertime, if you can keep it cooler, not meat locker cooler, but if you can get it cool, it's good. You don't want to go lower than about 65 degrees mm. um, because at that point, your body will start to shiver mm. and it'll actually bring you out of REM sleep because in REM sleep, your body's completely paralyzed and so your brain has a problem. Like, it's super cold in the bedroom. I'm going into REM sleep where, because you're, you're, you move around for friction to create warmth. Yeah. Well, when your body's paralyzed, you can't do that. So your brain will keep you out of REM sleep when it's too cold. So there really is a balance that you want to kind of meet there, right, in, in sort of understanding that whole, that whole perspective. Um, and so that's kind of how I, I work with people. So I'm a high-performance sleep coach now. So I used to do the doctor thing. 30 patients a day, 15 sleep studies a night. Nothing wrong with that. But I really discovered this whole disordered sleep universe. Yeah. And that was really what I wanted to, to key my insights in on and, and really start to help people and learn more about. And so I take, it, it's kind of funny, we came up with this as a tagline. I take the 1% and I make them 5% better. Yeah. Right? And so I take those people who are they're hitting it hard. They're a CEO. They're an entrepreneur. They're starting their own business. They're within a business and doing well. Or even they're, they're more towards the end of their, their you know, life and their, their career isn't as big a focus, but health is a big sure. focus, right? And they're getting in shape and they're making sure that you know, their health is in order. All of those things, um, sleep underlies every single one of them, dude. Well, especially <laughs> for cognitive decline. I mean, oh, that's yeah. been like, I feel, you know, sleep is when you take out, the brain sort of takes out the trash. Yeah, well, so the glymphatic system, 
um, in, in particular is like the waste management of the brain, right? Mm -hmm. And so it comes in, it pulls out those, especially those Alzheimer, Parkinsonian, and dementia proteins, right? Yeah. So tau and a couple of the other ones, APOE, all of those get pulled out during stage three, four sleep mm -hmm. during the first part of the night. Well, here's what happens is sleep is a lot like a baseball game, mm -hmm. okay? So if, if first pitch is at 8 o'clock and you show up at 9.30, they don't throw out the first pitch again, right? Yeah. Right, same holds true with sleep. Yeah. Your body, based on your chronotype, we'll talk a little bit about chronotypes in yeah. a second, teaches, tells your body when to go to bed and when to wake up. Well, if you don't abide by listening to your body, it's not going to work too well. And right. you're going to miss out on especially that first part of the stage three, four sleep. Most people don't know stage three, four sleep, which again is the physical restoration, occurs in the first third. So if you decide, hey, my body wants to go to bed at 10.30, but screw it, I'm going to bed at 2, you're going to miss all that physical restoration. No. And then you're going to feel like dog <laughs> shit. <laughs> that, so Because that's the thing. I, I feel like part of what's – you know, I was – and I believe it was associated with mole, but because, unfortunately, my father has cognitive decline, mm. I've been super sensitive to it. For and sure. so I've done all these things to optimize my health, et cetera. Um, but in the context of sleep – that's one of the things I'm deeply curious about, right? Is like, okay, um, you know, how do I optimize that stage three, four sleep? So I'd love for you to articulate sort of how one finds out what their chronotype is, because I actually don't even know what my chronotype so is. So that's why you get a copy of my book. <laughs> okay, amazing. The power of when yes. for all of the cameras here. I love it. Because this it is, I imagine, so one of the interesting things about diet, which I imagine oh. is commensurate with sleep, yep. is that we often talk about the nature of what we eat, but mm -hmm. we very infrequently talk about when, when we, we eat. eat. That's and right. So can you break down this, this, yeah. con this context about when? Absolutely. So the book is called The Power of When because it's really about timing. Yeah. Right? And so for people – oh, there you go. So for people who, who want to kind of think through this idea, it's all about these things called chronotypes. Now, people may not have heard the term chronotype, but actually almost everybody knows the concept. Mm -hmm. So if you've ever been called an early bird or a night owl, yep. those are chronotypes. Okay? So my contribution is we've known for a long time that there are at least three chronotypes. There's early bird, there's in the middle, and there's night owl. Yep. Some people would argue that those can be separated even further. And I, th I don't think that they're mistaken there. I added a fourth chronotype, and that was insomniac. Mm. So it turns out that these are genetic. You don't choose these, right? So if I pulled your 23andMe data or your Ancestry.com data, I can run it through an algorithm, and I can tell you exactly what you are. I got to do that. It's super cool, dude. Uh, and that's what I do for my patients. So part of what I do with them is we identify what their chronotype is, mm. and then we create a bedtime schedule and a morning schedule. So that's what high-performance sleep coaching really is, yeah. is I do full-on genetic testing. I look at all of your different blood levels. So where are you on magnesium, on vitamin B, on vitamin D, on melatonin? We get all those up to par. We get do you, you supplement with those? Absolutely. Okay, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, then we bring in the chronotype stuff. So we figure out what your chronotype is, genetically speaking, and then we align you with your body, mm. right? Because at the end of the day, if you just listen to your body, everything gets much easier. Yes. Right? Everything gets better. Remember, sleep is healing. Yep. So it, it drives me crazy when people are like, oh, I want to sleep less, Michael, you know, because I get some of these CEOs that are like, I need eight, but I only have six. And I'm like, I can show you how to do that, but why? Yeah. Like, sleep is healing. Totally. Why would you ever want to curtail a time when this gets to heal? We only get one. Yeah. Right? Like, we only get one body. 
So anything we can do to keep this thing in good shape and heal makes a lot of sense. Hundred percent, right? So anyway, when we talk about chronotypes, it turns out that there are now four. And so I created a quiz uh, for people out there who want to check it out. Go to chronoquiz.com. Um, it's free. You, it takes about two minutes to do the quiz, and you learn that you're one of these four types. So I renamed them because I'm a mammal, not a bird, mm -hmm. um, and I didn't like the vernacular there. And so we had to choose animals that people would want to be. Yeah. Right? Like nobody wants to be a porcupine, right? <laughs> so, so lion replaces early bird, yeah. right? And I can tell you a lot about the characteristics of these people because we've had a, actually over a million people take the quiz now. Mm. So we've learned a ton of information about people, and it's very, very fascinating. So lions, these are my COOs. These are my go-getters. Mm. These are my people who they make a list every morning, and they go from step one to step two to step three. Um, fairly health-conscious. Um, and, um, and they're the ones who are up at 4.30 in the morning. Yeah. Okay. Now, to be fair, genetically, they can do that. They're about the only people, by the way, that should be in the 5 a.m. club. So when you see Richard Branson and Hal Elrod and all the these rock. people talking, yeah. uh, talking about these things, they're idiots. Okay. And I'll tell you why. They're not following the science. Right. Mm. And if the rock was sitting right here, I would say... Mr. Dwayne Johnson, let me educate you on what your chronotype is. My guess is he's probably an early morning chronotype, mm. and it's easy for him to wake up at that time, but not everybody is like that. I would argue only 25% of the entire population can even get near getting up that early comfortably, mm. right? So, uh, but by the way, it's not always great to be a lion. Mm. People are always like, oh, I want to be a lion. I want to be a lion. To be fair, dinner and a movie sucks for a lion. They've been up since 4.30 in the freaking morning, right? Like, they don't want to go out, yeah. right? That's more for the night owl category, which is actually the category that I fall into. Yes. So the middle category, I call them bears. So these are more extroverts. Um, these are the people that get the work done. Most of society turns out to be a bear. Yeah. About 55% of the people out there are bears. And to be fair, I'd rather be a bear than, than what I am. I'm a wolf. Yeah. I'm a night owl person. But um, I'd rather be a bear. Most of society is built on a bear's schedule. Yeah. What, what's fascinating about these different um, categorizations is this isn't new stuff. Yeah. So when you go back to hunter-gatherer days, right, which, you know, went really back far, here's what happened. Who were the hunters? They were the lions. They were the people that woke up early and went out to hunt. And then who were the bears? The bears were the people that minded the village. Yeah. Right? And then who was security? The wolves. Yeah. The night owls. Yeah. This stuff's been around for thousands of years. I love it. What's the fourth chronotype? Wait, let me tell you about wolves. Uh, okay. So okay. wolves, because that's me, is a night owl, yeah. right? And so we, believe it or not, we have a tendency to be a little bit introverted, which is not really a characteristic that I follow very closely. Um, but sometimes, yeah, I mean, I can definitely feel like being more Lone introverted. wolf, yeah. Yeah. Um, but we're the artists. We're the actors. We're the musicians. We're the creative types. If we bother to make a list during the day, we go from 1 to 12 to 17 to 95 mm. like we can't follow it but it makes sense to us but we can't follow a list to save our lives right mm. but again we're the people that show up at the party at 11 o'clock but we're ready to go yeah right but it, we're not going to show up at 6 30 yes there's nothing fun about that no right and we're also very big risk takers as night owls and wolves so and that kind of plays into that whole night mentality right because you're out at night what are you doing where are you going you got to be a little bit on the careful side um, they make up about 15%. And then the last are the dolphins, which are the insomniacs. Uh. So why do I call them dolphins, right? So first of all, each animal actually has the circadian rhythm. Mm. So lions actually have their first kill before dawn. Uh, wolves are nocturnal creatures. Bears are very solar sleepers. So I chose dolphins because this is kind of a weird fact. Dolphins sleep uni-hemispherically. 
So half of their brain is asleep while the other half is awake looking for predators. Whoa. Right? Isn't that crazy? That's amazing. Yeah, it's pretty cool. But I felt like it was a good representation of my insomniacs who are like never quite asleep. Mm-hmm. Right? I thought, and nobody minds being a dolphin. Like dolphins are kind of cool. Yeah. Right? And so we picked the good animals and we figured it out. So you take the quiz and you figure out which one of these avatars or categories that you end up in. Here's where the science gets super cool. Right? Is what we've, so there's been over 200 studies in this book alone just on chronotypes. Not my studies. These are studies done around the world. And what we discovered is, as an example, uh, let's say that you're an early bird and I'm a night owl. Okay? And we're getting up in the morning to meet for coffee. Right? And you say to me, Michael, I, I'm an early bird. Let's, let's meet at 7 a.m. And I'm like, Michael, dude, that's crazy. I, I don't get up until you know, 7, 30, 8 o'clock. Yeah. Here's what happened is your melatonin turned off at probably 6 a.m. Right? And if I got up at 6 a.m., my melatonin won't just automatically turn off. It'll actually keep going and going until my body hormonally wants to turn it off at 8 o'clock. So there's a big disparity there, right? So it turns out there's a perfect time of day based on your chronotype to do anything. I can tell you the best time of day to have sex, eat a cheeseburger, eat, like we were talking about that started this whole conversation. Yeah. Go when, to bed. When, when, when are the best times for those? So it's interesting. It's all based on your chronotype, right? Yeah. So if you're a lion, right, an early morning person, and let's say you want to do intermittent fasting. I'm a big fan of intermittent fasting. Yeah. Then your feeding time is actually going to be earlier in the day, not mm. later in the day, right? If you're a night owl or a wolf like me, I don't start eating until 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. Right? And I do a, I do like, I do a little bit crazy. I do like a 6-hour, um, what would that be, 19-hour... Is that right? 19-hour fast and yeah. then a six-hour feed? Yeah, that's what I do. Oh, wow. Is that right? Yeah, that's 18. That right? 18 and 6. 18 and 6. Thank yeah. you. So, yeah, like that's what I do. But I follow my chronotype, mm-hmm. and I have so much energy. I mean, look, it's fairly reasonable time in the morning. I mean, it's not too early in the morning for me. No. But, you know, like I've got a lot of energy all day long. And, like, like there's no caffeine in here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Like I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty energetic guy. So when you start to understand your chronotype, you can actually do it all. So, again, the book is very short chapters, three-page chapters. Mm-hmm. Um, I took 50 different activities that are out there. So, literally, when to have sex, when to work out. And we broke down the working out into cardio, weightlifting, yoga, or team sports yep. because it's all different. right? Because, again, your hormone levels will naturally come to a certain level, and that's when you want to take advantage of them. Yes. Right? You want to be in sync with your body. Once you're in sync with your body and the hormone regulation or dysregulation that's going on, everything gets much, much simpler. And so that's why I kind of moved into this area. So historically, I've written about weight gain and sleep. I've written about like a do-it-yourself kind of sleep book. This was my third book, and it really talks about the when of it all, all about chronotypes. And uh, just about to start working on a fourth book, uh, looking at energy. I love it. I, 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 first of all, I can't wait to dive into this because one of the things that I'm going to dig it. I'm super going to dig it. I, I, I can already tell. But the circadian rhythm is actually an aspect of something that I'm profoundly intrigued by because it's obviously the natural cycle. Absolutely. And I feel like so much of our biology is oriented towards a way that we've been biologically for hundreds of thousands of years. Exactly. And yet we live in this 21st century. Exactly. (laughs) 21st century where it's like we're now besieged by new stimuli. So like, for example, where you mentioned blue light earlier, I have the red light filter on my phone, et cetera. Two, two things I do want to cover over on is mm-hmm. as it relates to whether it be supplementation or things you can do internally, meditation, et cetera, yep. kind of what are the things both 
in terms of the inner game, if you will, of sleep, mm-hmm. as well as the outer game, like the actual physical, like how do you feel about black light curtains? Right. You mentioned temperature already, but like, mm-hmm. you know, um, for example, at night, like I try to use the, I have, luckily have a fireplace. I'll use mm-hmm. the Himalayan salt lamps and yep. the fireplace and try to not have, as, have a tremendous amount of blue light. Right. But can you give for those listening kind of overall strategies on like supplements that can help in terms of like regulating um, within Mm -hmm. and then what the world outside should look like to optimize your sleep. Sure, sure. So just full disclosure, I actually have an online course that is called Optimize Your Sleep. Oh, great. And so it's literally 14 hours of modules, information, things like that. If you're up for it, I'll give it to you and let you try it. And I'm we'll, in. And we'll do a challenge. Let's do it. And we'll see how it goes uh, for I'm you. in. I'm okay. in. You'll dig it. So in it, we do the whole idea behind supplementation. I actually list out every sleep supplement that's got any, any supplements that have any uh, effect on sleep, and I do a full monograph on them. So mm. what is the right dose? What do you take? And, and again, this is inf- information. I'm not your doctor, right? Yep. So just to be clear, but all of this has great science behind it. Everything's very well referenced. And so the, it's an online course. You'll take it. You'll love it. It'll, you'll have so much fun with it. Um, but when you look at it, the very first things I do is uh, vitamin D, magnesium, uh, and I actually believe not look at iron, especially in women, mm. um, because a lot of women are borderline anemic, and they don't even know it. And it turns out that iron plays a very perfunctory role in sleep, specifically with movement. So we see a lot of people, as they start to get older, they get something called restless legs syndrome, which oh, is yeah. like a jittery, When you're like crawling. moving all around. Yeah, yeah, totally. And it's worse when you lie down. And the only way to relieve it is to stand up and walk around. Well, that's not too conducive to sleep if you're walking around, Mm -hmm. right? And so iron, a specific type of iron called ferritin, turns out to be very important. So the three things I I will do blood work on is magnesium, vitamin D, and iron. Mm. Um, Sometimes if if I've got somebody who seems to be dysregulated and I can't quite fit them into a chronotype, then I look at their melatonin production. What's interesting is once you hit about age 50, so I'm 51, once you hit about age 50, 55, you start to see a melatonin slope. You start Mm. to see it actually decrease in terms of production. And so with some of my patients, actually, I put them on melatonin. It's pretty rare, just to be clear, that somebody needs to be on melatonin every night unless they have a deficiency. Mm -hmm. And that's a real big myth that's out there. I mean, it's the number one sleep supplement that's sold. And to be honest with you, almost nobody really needs melatonin. Unless you get into that 50-55 age range or... um, you have a deficiency. Now, also to be fair, there is one population where melatonin is actually a a godsend, and that's with uh, kids on the spectrum. Hmm. So with autistic kids, and we don't know exactly why, high dosages, like four and five milligrams, right, are work really, really well. And sometimes eight or nine milligrams work really well in these autistic kids. Now, you might be saying, is that a high dose? Is that a low dose? Here's the problem. 95% of melatonin is sold in an overdosage format right now. Mm. So it's in three, fives, and tens. You know, the right dose is a half, between a half and one and a half milligrams. Wow. Right. That's all you need, right, to to actually have the time change and the circadian effect. So why would you put more in? You really don't need to. So when you start to look at that, those are the three or four things that I look at first. Then we do the chronotype, get you sleeping in your chronotypical schema. Then we start to add in movement. Then we add in intermittent fasting. So there's a whole phased process Mm. that I do here. And I got to tell you something. It's it works like a freaking charm. Yeah. It really does. I've been very fortunate. Um, there are a couple of celebrities that I work with who've talked about my work. Uh, Carson Daly yep. is probably one of the, the big ones. So it was funny. I, I was asked to be on the Today Show January last year. Um, and uh, he came to me on the side and he's like, dude, I am dragging. And I was like, 
let's figure it out. Yeah. And so it turned out that he had sleep apnea. Really? And he's not a big, big guy. Right. I mean, he's gained some weight over the years, but he's not a big, big guy. Well, it turns out he had pretty decent sleep apnea. We were able to get that under control. Now I've got him doing intermittent fasting. Like, he says, he's like, dude, I feel like a million bucks. Mm. Right? And it, 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 it really makes that big of a difference. Yeah, because it if really you're not does. getting quality sleep, or Dude, especially if you're an crap. insomniac or you have sleep apnea, like it compromises, like having, just even having minor brain fog, because oh. I feel like my, I, you know, from when I had the mold exposure, I feel like that, it just throws you off, and, and, the, and the cumulative Everything. consequences can be <laughs> profound. Everything you do, yeah. you do better with a good night's sleep. Everything. Yeah. Yes. Literally, there isn't a function that your body does that doesn't do it better with good quality sleep. Right. Right. And, and, and the reverse is true as well, right? So from a health perspective, um, a, a great example, uh, we discovered probably within the last five years, cancer cells multiply faster the more sleep deprived you are. Really? Cancer. Okay, we're not fucking around here, right? Wow. We're talking about arguably one of the most deadly diseases that has ever, you know, been across the earth. Those, those cells multiply quicker the more sleep-deprived you are. We also learned, very interesting, that if you administer chemotherapy at particular times in somebody's circadian cycle, you need less chemo, and it's more effective. Really? Dude, chemo's poison. Yeah. Okay, we're poisoning. We're killing the cancer cells in your body using a poison. We get to use less poison, and it works better. So the like, sleep is basically, uh, it seems like it's in many ways the most underrated thing you can do for your health. <laughs> Fundamentally, <laughs> it is the most underrated process that you can do. It's, yeah. It's great. So interesting. LeBron James, actually, sorry to interrupt you, yeah. but LeBron James, I just was, because I've been doing research into obviously some, a lot of these peak performers, whether it be Tom Brady, mm -hmm. LeBron, especially as they're moving into sort of the, the latter stages of their career. Because I'm interested, I think as many people are, it's like, yeah, you can perform like a lion when you're 20. You know, but like Who can't? what happens when you get right. in your thirties and forties. Right. And so I'm intrigued or fifties. Like and I'm intrigued by or I just interviewed Laird Hamilton, like he he works out oh, with a guy Laird's in his eighties, awesome. you know? Yeah. And and I think you, at every age there's there there's a there's a window to be sort of uh moved through or unlocked. But but basically, you know, LeBron said it that sleep was his number one thing that like people weren't talking about. And I was like, that's what's up. That was yeah. part of I mean, I wanted to have you on for ages, but <laughs> I was like, okay. I want to dial in the sleep. How does one actually – I know the chronotype is a huge assessment tool, mm -hmm. but is there a mechanism aside from, say, like – because you said the, the rings or like the – Well, let's, let's yeah. talk about tracking. Yeah, how do you track Yeah, how do you track to know if you're getting quality sleep? Right. So number one, you are your best judge, mm. right? So there's so many people who are like, I'm, I'm, how many minutes of this do I have and minutes – Relax. Yeah. Okay. Like there is now an, an issue where people are over tracking their sleep. <laughs> totally. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So you've got those OCD people. Most of them are dolphins from the chronotype world. Yep, Let me yep. trust me. Um, and, and they over track their shit. Okay. So let's be very clear. Yep. So number one, sleep is a complicated metric. We've already talked a little bit about that. Yep. Nobody does a great, great job. Um, I wear an aura ring um, and yep. I like it. Um, and I'll tell you why. I don't look at the absolute data. I look at the relative data. Here's what I mean by that. If I look on this or, or any tracker and it says, Michael, you got 13 minutes of stage three, four sleep last night. I don't think I care. And uh -huh. I'll tell you why. Because the likelihood that I only got 13 minutes seems highly unlikely, number one. Um, but number two, if it said the same thing the next night and the next night and the next night, 
well, then I'm good to go, yeah. right? Because it's consistently measuring whatever it's measuring, but it's consistent. But if, I have, if I'm sleeping 13 minutes in deep sleep one night, 97 in another, and zero in another, I'm interested mm-hmm. because the delta is different. Like, why has it changed? So I have to look back. Did I have alcohol? Did I have caffeine? Was there a particularly stressful event? And we haven't even talked about stress yet. Oh, yeah. Let's get into stress. Stress is a major, major factor. I mean, when you talk about insomnia and sleeplessness or restlessness, I would argue 75% of it is between your ears. Yeah. 75%. Well, because I, I, at least for me, anecdotally, I feel like the times when I can't fall asleep, I'm pr- uh, luckily, knock on wood, a pretty good sleeper in terms of ability to get to sleep. And also, mm-hmm. I think one of the reasons I was gifted as a traveler is ability to fall asleep in traditionally uncomfortable <laughs> places. However, um, the, the, the nights where I cannot fall asleep, which are infrequent, um, it's always, I'm ruminating on something. I'm yes. always overthinking something. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and number one complaint that I hear, can't turn off my brain. Mm-hmm. Number one, mm-hmm. okay? And historically, like for 30 years, yeah. right? And so when you start to kind of understand like what does stress mean and, and how does it have an effect on our body, there's a couple of factors that are very critical to people to understand. So one of the big questions is, uh, if I can't turn off my brain, how do I fall asleep? And or if I wake up in the middle of the night and I start thinking, how do I go back? to sleep, mm. right? So let's, let's, let's unpack those because those are big, big questions, right? So first of all, falling asleep. So believe it or not, people have less problem falling asleep than they do staying asleep. Mm. So what we call sleep onset insomnia is actually less popular than sleep maintenance insomnia, which is this roller coaster of wake up, fall asleep, wake up, fall asleep, and you feel like crap. But let's, let's address the first one first. So what do I need to do? So sleep is not an on-off switch. Right? It's more like slowly pulling your foot off the gas and slowly putting your foot on the brake. Like there's some runway that you need to set your body up for that 10 to 20 minutes mm-hmm. to fall asleep. So people wait until they're exhausted and they're nodding off watching the television to go back and, and, and go into the bedroom and fall asleep. Don't, right? Binge watching the next episode of whatever is not going to get you there, right? Mm-hmm. I get it. It's an escape and you want to enjoy it and that's fun. Give yourself a limit. Going to bed... May, can make a lot of sense. But now you're thinking, what's going on? So what I tell people to do is there's a couple of different distraction techniques that I use, um, but I'm going to tell you kind of a funny story. I'm literally the only sleep doctor in the universe that says it's okay to fall asleep with the television on. Mm. Okay, let me tell you why. Yeah. So when I met my wife, she said, Michael, if we ever happen to have a sleepover, I need to let you know that I fall asleep with the television on. I was like, oh, hon, don't worry about that. I'm going to be a sleep doctor. I'm going to fix that. I don't know about you. But if you've ever tried to fix something in your <laughs> bed partner, it never, a wise move. never yeah. works. Yeah. Um, so when I removed the television from the bedroom, I was told to be removed from the bedroom. Yes. So I brought the TV back in and yes, you did. I was allowed to come back in. Yeah. Um, and so I decided to study her and discover what was going on. And she doesn't really watch it. She actually listens to it out of what mm. I call the corner of her ear. Mm. And so what she described to me, and she calls it monkey mind, where she just on and on and on, brain is going, going, going. It's like an old episode of Seinfeld. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just something to, d- to distract her enough to not think about all of the things that are present in her brain to allow her to fall asleep. 99% of the televisions made today have a timer in the software. Mm-hmm. 99%. Okay? Set the fucking timer yeah. and let it go. Yeah. And you will be in such a better place. Okay? Like, people are like, oh, well, there's blue light that's being emitted from it relax okay like if tv is the way that gets you there i'm good with that yep all right but if tv is disruptive to you and it doesn't get you there and it's and it's then maybe you need to remove the television or go into a separate bedroom or what have you the other thing to do besides the distraction is heart rate Mm. 
Mm -hmm. So most people don't know this, but you need a heart rate of 60 or below to fall asleep, roughly, okay? Well, here's the problem with getting on your phone and scrolling through Facebook or trying to get your high score on Candy Crush on your tablet. There's no way your heart rate is below 60. Yeah. Right? You're, you're dogging it. You're like, I'm going to get to the next level. And guess what? All that autonomic arousal increases heart rate, makes it impossible to fall asleep. So you really need to allow yourself to get there. Here's the other problem. It's the only time of day that nobody's talking to you. Yeah. Asking you to do something. So what happens? All the thoughts from the day come flooding in. Oh, I should have said this. Oh, I forgot to do that. And so you start to make this list in your head. Better that you do that right after dinner. Uh-huh. So what I do is I give people a half an hour window right after they finish their meal. Just pull out a journal and just get the stuff out of your head, right? Because that's what's happening is it's just an odd time where nobody's asking you to do anything and it's distracting you from being able to fall asleep. So distract yourself. Now, how do you do that? I don't like people writing these lists of all the things they have to do right before bed because then it makes them think about it. I prefer a gratitude list before bed. Yeah, love that. Right? So it's like... What is cool and good and what are you grateful for? And some days there might not be much. Mm-hmm. Some days it might be a roof over your head or some days you might not even have a roof over your head. But finding the things to be grateful for and having a more positive attitude as you're going into sleep, there's actually data to show that you fall asleep quicker and you have more positive dreams. Gratitude. Right? Yeah, like, how works. great is that? <laughs> it right? works. So Also hard to be stressed uh, when you're grateful. When you're grateful, right? And then I also do breathing techniques. Right, so um, Navy SEALs came up with a breathing technique called a four-seven-eight breathing technique. I modified it a little bit. Mine is a four-six-seven, and I'll explain to you what that means. Okay. So you breathe in for a count of four, you hold it for a count of six, and you breathe out for a count of seven. What that does is it actually dispels all the carbon dioxide out of your lungs because a lot of times we have shallow breathing. Most of us don't know how to breathe well. Mm. It seems like, come on, we should be able to do this, right? But with nasal congestion, mold, allergens, particulates, all of these things restrict our breathing. And a lot of people aren't taking in a big, deep breath and then letting it come out. In your bedroom is a good time to be able to do that. But, you know, when we were talking about environment before, we need to think of things like what is the air quality, yeah. right? So you should have a HEPA filter or something on your, on your air conditioning system or heating system if I've you have it. I've got two going in my bedroom. Right. And, and, like, and also, if you move into a place, get the ducts cleaned, mm. the air conditioning vents and the yes. heating ducts. There's so much crap in there, you have no idea. So if you're a renter or even if you just take possession of a new home or you're building a new home, Get the ducks cleaned. Um, also, be careful with like your window covering. So I'm a big blinds person versus curtains person, and I'll tell you why. Curtains are like dust magnets, mm. and nobody ever cleans their curtains. Literally, nobody ever cleans their curtains. And so you've got this allergen magnet yes. right, right in your bedroom. I Go, hadn't thought about it. It's so true. Dude, it's there. I Trust me, if we took a vacuum, to if you had blinds in your bedroom and we took a vacuum, all kinds of stuff would come out. But what I like about blinds is... What about blackout curtains? Does the so there's aller- a double, yeah, right? Exactly. So, what I, so there's a company called DIY. I have no affiliation with them. Mm. They make blinds that you can install that are also blackout. Wow. So they're blinds and blackout, which is awesome. No curtains, but they're nice looking. Like, I mean, they're aesthetically pleasing, but it, it definitely can help quite a bit with that. So creating that environment, making it as dark as you possibly can. But let's be fair. Don't wander around with electrical tape and, you know, hit the little itty bitty blue light that's on your, (laughs) you know, your cable box. Nobody gives a crap. Okay. That's not the light exposure that we're talking about. We're talking about light exposure that's here. That's within 12 to 18 inches of your face. Now the question is going to become, Michael, what is that 
blue light and how does it work and, and how does all mm. that thing happen? Yeah. So it turns out that you have particular cells in your eye called melanopsin cells, and they are affected by what's called blue light. When you look at light, there's a spectrum. And on that spectrum, between 460 and 490 nanometers is called cyan or blue. That particular wavelength, when it hits your eyeball, turns off the melatonin faucet. Mm. This is why sunlight is so good in the mornings. This is why I want you over in the mornings to be there, but I don't want you getting blue light at night, right? So blue light in the mornings, positive. Blue light at night, no bueno, right? So blue light blocking glasses I'm or a big filters. Fan. I have a red light filter and there's night mode on the uh, iPhone. It doesn't work. Doesn't work. So uh, there was a great study done at Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute looking at the night shift thing on the iPhone in particular. Yep. Absolutely. I have a custom no one actually. You oh, can okay, turn good. it. You can literally go. Can you uh, change someone the color did it temperature? for me, and they bit, uh, did a total red uh, filter. It. Okay. Not night mode, but a total red filter. That works. And it worked. Yeah, and it's that works. it's uh, it's helpful. It's a little hard to read. <laughs> it, it is. People always pick up my phone. What is this? You right. know. But yeah. but yeah. So those and then the glasses. I don't always have the glasses with me, but I do yeah, have the glasses. I, so I like the blue light blocking glasses. I. Full disclosure, I created my own line of them, sleepdoctorglasses.com. Mm -hmm. I just didn't like the ones that were out there. And so, I, I, although I will tell you this, Dave Asprey's got some true dark glasses are really pretty awesome. Yeah. My biggest problem with the true dark glasses is they block out 100% of oh, the wow. blue light. So, like, it's hard. Like, I like his true dark, the red ones in particular, for airplanes. Yes. Because I stick it on the airplane and I'm out. Oh, I'm yeah. Done, daddy, done. But it's hard for me if I'm wandering around the house because I'm, like, bumping into walls and stuff. What do you feel about, and I know that the science around this is less than comprehensive, mm -hmm. about Wi-Fi? Because I've talked to, I've talked to folks like Ben Greenfield and others, mm -hmm. and they, they're, they're advocates of turning off. I mean, we're now, obviously, mm -hmm. we're all besieged by digital signals. Sure. Um, but as it relates to signals affecting our sleep quality, what, what are your thoughts? So here's the, here's the bottom line. There's no good data. Yeah. Okay? But... I've had at least two patients in my career where when we turned off the router yeah. in their home, just the router, we didn't like throw the whole switch, but just the router, they slept better. Yeah. So I think there are people who are EMF sensitive. I'm not exactly sure how to identify those people and sure. assess those people, but I think that if you're an insomniac and you're having problems, and for example, you notice that when you, when you go away from your home, you sleep better in, in a hotel where there might not necessarily be a Wi-Fi router right next to your mm -hmm. room. There's some, there might be something there. Just turn off the router one night yeah. or for a week and see what happens. Now, there are people who go to the extreme. You can have a grounding pad that you put underneath your bed and a wire that goes out and is buried into the ground. Very simple, not a very expensive uh, you know, routine to, to be able to do something like that. Um, there are people now who have paint and you can paint your walls and yeah. literally create a Faraday cage in your bedroom, yeah. right, of completely shielding yourself from all the electronics. Is that a bit extreme? For probably 95% of the people, I would say yes. But there's 5% of the people where I think it might actually help them. Yeah. And I'm not a guy who's like poo-pooing something just because we don't have a ton, a ton of science behind it. If I've got people who say that helps them and it's not hurting them or hurting anybody, and I'm okay with it. Yeah. Right? But I just don't have a lot of great science behind it yet. Yeah. What about – thank you for that. What sure. about so, – so it's interesting. So one of the things – when I lived in Sri Lanka, I studied rites of passage. Okay. And – What does you, that mean exactly? Uh, rituals, basically. Okay. Uh, so conce conceptually, 
I won't go deep into it because it's not necessarily relevant, but uh, I've done other episodes on this. Ostensibly, in that context, traditionally, health was considered balance. And when you're sure. imbalanced, uh, that's where disease is able to uh, take root. But they had a very uh, – so I studied social, spiritual, uh, ritual traditions. And what they would do is from sunrise to sunset, they would sort of cosmologically recreate their shared worldview. Mm-hmm. And the essence really was – because there was no word for privacy. There was no word for possession. It was about basically bringing someone back into balance with their collective with their community and we Got know it. we know the quality of our relationships has huge correlations on our health but in instances where for example because there are in a lot of indigenous cultures there are moments where there would be a ceremony or you would do an all what we would call an all-nighter i mean in right. western culture oftentimes an all-nighter is, right. is more around partying or working right. but right. in instances where is is that the equivalent of if that if it's done obviously in an intentional way is that the equivalent of like a cheat meal t- where it doesn't necessarily throw you off I know there's been different thoughts around catching up on your sleep sure. but I also know that you work with like for example CEOs who are working in different time zones and taking yes. eight different flights in right. a week and it's like right. so I guess my question is in this chaotic world um, and also there are kind of historical ancestral precedence of course but like how does one um because it you know if you are going to do an all-nighter or you're doing something that you know is out of the ordinary is that is it very deleterious to your overall health or is there a way in which you can reset if you will Mm -hmm. so great question so there's two real instances here one is more of a a permanent change yes right so i'm flying from california to new york and i'm going to be there for five days even though that's a little bit transitory that's a bigger change as opposed to i'm staying up all night because i'm having a spiritual scenario or i'm I'm out with good friends and having a good relationship and that that kind of stuff so those are two i would argue different yeah i'd love it's jet lag and i'd love it so we'll start with jet lag great so um, as uh, <laughs> you know, I have quite an interesting clientele. Yes. And um, one of my patients was a, uh, or still is, a Saudi Arabian princess. Yes. And so she would fly from Saudi to Los Angeles, and she'd have horrible, horrible jet lag, like yeah. seven days worth. So wow. for your body to, to actually acclimate naturally, it takes one day per time zone crossed. Mm. Okay, she was crossing like 14 time zones. Wow. So it was nuts, right? Something crazy like that. Yeah. So here's what we did. So I've been working with the group, um, and uh, so let me back up and tell you a little bit of a different story before we get to the princess. Yes. So NASA called a friend of mine at Harvard, and they said, we've got a real problem on the space station. So it's kind of interesting. I didn't know this, but the space station is moving at 17,500 miles an hour. Wow. Things moving fast. <laughs> yeah, that's right? fucking. Yeah. yeah, and it has a new day every 90 minutes. Wow. The sun comes up and goes down every 90 minutes. Can you imagine how messed up their circadian rhythms oh, are? totally. Right? And so they called my friend Steve uh, Lockley over at Harvard, and they're like, he's a circadian researcher, and he's one of the best in the world. Do they age faster? I'd be oh. curious. That's an existential mm. question. Anyway, keep, keep, keep going where you're going. I don't I think, just, they, that I don't think they do, but maybe yeah. spiritually they yeah. might. <laughs> um, so we had to turn them into shifts. Yeah. Because they were exhausted. Totally. Right? They were going to bed. They were waking up. They didn't know what to do. So we created these three eight-hour shifts. Mm. And the way they did it was they used caffeine, melatonin, napping, and light hmm. to reset that circadian clock. Because when you don't have the outside influences, the sun coming up and staying up for an extended period of time, going into the work. Because, I mean, literally, time kind of stands still out there right. to right. a certain degree. So once they figured that out, they brought it down terrestrially, and they put it into the Mercedes-Benz Formula One race car team. Hmm. Right, so those guys, and they're all guys, um, they win or lose based on hundredths of a second. Right, so they can have zero 
you know, fatigue. Margin, yeah. Yeah, they have no margin for error. I mean, you know, their margin for error is usually death. Yeah. Right? Like, you know, when they make one sneeze or wrong turn, like, that's a problem. So we needed to make sure that they were super tight. We figured them out. And then we created a consumer application. So for folks out there who are listening, if you go to uh, the App Store and you just download Time Shifter, mm. that's the name of the app. Full disclosure, I'm an investor and a developer of this. Um, the shit works. Yeah. Like, I use it everywhere I go. I got back from Taiwan about uh, three months ago. Zero. I li- literally walked off the plane and did a national television interview wow. within hours. So it sets you up it to, pre- to prevent jet lag. Yeah. So what it does is the two days before you leave, it takes into account where you are, where you're going, your flights, and your chronotype. Mm. Okay, so now I'm going to get back to the story about the princess. Yes. So the princess, um, we, we, we had the algorithm, but we didn't have the app and all of that developed yet. And so what we did was we actually used caffeine and light when she would wake up, melatonin and, and scheduling by moving her, her, uh, her sleep, and then a nap. And we were able to actually get her going from uh, Los Angeles to Saudi. And with two days prep, she literally walked off the plane in Saudi with absolutely no jet lag. Wow. Zero. Now, to be fair, I always tell this story in kind of a funny way. She, we, I was working with her because I said, well, what time are you flying? Because I need to set up the schedule. She said, well, Dr. Bruce, what time would you like me to fly? Because she has her <laughs> own yeah. 747. Yeah, yeah. So I was working with the pilot. So not yeah. everybody out there has their own 747. Right. So that's where the Time Shifter app comes in. But it really, really works well. And um, if you use the code the Sleep Doctor, and we can maybe put it in the show sure. notes. Sure, great. Um, they get the first two jet lag plans for free. Okay, great. So try it before you buy it type of thing. Yeah. Um, but it, it works, and it works well. And this system seems to work incredibly well. And again, this is a great opportunity to use melatonin appropriately. Yes. Right? But so many people are using melatonin in a appropriately. But now let's get to the, I'm going to stay up late for one night, party, be with friends, have a spiritual experience, whatever it is you're going to do. Yes. What do you do there? So here's what you do is if you have actually been up all night, um, better that you take a nap and you want to do it segmented. So we know the average sleep cycle is roughly 90 minutes. Mm -hmm. So you'd want to take 90 minute segmented naps, Mm. right? So for example, if you stayed up until five o'clock in the morning, well, then you probably want to take a three hour Mm. nap right? Go till eight. Do not drive a car because you will definitely not have the motor skills that you should have at yeah. this period of time. Um, you're probably going to want to eat something because your body is, because your, your gut has a circadian rhythm too. Yes. Right. And so if you, if you normally are having a breakfast person, I mean, I'm not a breakfast person, but for people who are, you need to stay on that schedule because the only way to get you back on that schedule is to give your body those cues and food turns out to be one of them. Yeah. Also during the day, if you're an exerciser, Exercise at your normal time of day. Mm-hmm. Okay, do not, I repeat, do not go to bed early. Mm. That is the biggest mistake that everybody makes. Really? They all go, because they're like, oh, dude, I'm so exhausted. I can't handle it anymore. I'm just going to crash and go to bed. Here's what happens. It's the baseball game again, right? And so if the game time starts at 8 o'clock and you show up at 6.30, all you're going to see is batting practice. Yeah. You're not going to fall asleep. Do you ever have that experience where your body is so physically exhausted, you get in bed and all you do is lie Look at the ceiling. Yeah, totally. Off. I've had it. That's what's going to happen. Yeah. So staying up later, even though it's hard, is going to be a good idea. The big thing I tell people to try to avoid is caffeine during one of those all day after the all-nighters. Mm. Unless you're a regular caffeine user. Like if you normally drink two or three cups a day, you're still going to need to have your cup of coffee because otherwise you're going to withdraw from the caffeine. Right. But if you're not a big caffeine person, using caffeine to try to keep yourself awake, don't bother. Mm. Okay? Just don't do anything that requires... Big decision making, like don't readjust your stock portfolio the day <laughs> right, after right. you know you do this. It yeah. wouldn't be a good idea, right? And and figure that part out. But your body will actually 
take it in and absorb that sleep loss. And what will happen is if we looked at your sleep architecture, what we'll see is you'll actually have more stage three, four sleep than you mm. normally would have. And you'll have more REM sleep. What gets squelched out is stage one and two, which is arguably the less important of the stages. It's not that it's unimportant, but it's less important than stage three, four, which is physical restoration, and REM sleep, which is mental restoration. Can you catch up? Because I feel like you can. Because I feel like maybe that's a stressor right on the body. But I know obviously whenever I'm feeling, for example, like I may be catching a cold or getting ill or whatnot. Yeah, for sure. The number one thing is like, okay, got to get, get rest, get yeah, sleep. For sure. Um, what can, if you are catching up? Is there a, a different protocol from just like? It's really about consistency again. Yeah, okay. Like if I'm going to beat that drum yeah, and beat you. it over and over. It's really about consistency because your body doesn't know what to do. Mm. Like if you've, if you've gotten into a full-blown illness, yes, go to sleep. Yes. Okay? Like your body needs that rest. Your immune system needs that rest. But if you're not at that point where you know something is going wrong, keep your consistent schedule because your body doesn't know what to do. Right. And so if you do the things when your body knows what to do, it, it knows how to act. Yeah. And that's where you really want to be. Um, obviously, you want to load up on something like zinc, yep. right? And also, if you, if you have, and you asked the interesting question, which is, can you make up for it over time, mm -hmm. right? So if, let's say, your body needs seven hours a night, just to make the math simple, and you're consistently getting six, right? So the question becomes, well, Michael, can you, for after years and years and years of this, can you make up for it? Unfortunately, no, yeah. you can't. Yeah. Um, but your body does adapt to a certain degree, and you may find that you need a little bit let's say you're getting six, maybe if you just increase it to 6.15 yeah. or 6.30, you might find that has a massive improvement effect, right? Small increments turn out to actually work out pretty well for things like sleep. Um, and, and I talk with people all the time, you know, sleep is a moving target. And just yeah. because, by the way, you find your zone doesn't mean it isn't going to change. Sure. Your chronotype actually changes as you age. Yeah. So you ever notice how people who are older, like they're eating dinner at 4.30? Totally. Right? That's their circadian shift. They've shifted early. Yeah, it's interesting also witnessing cognitive decline. Um, mm -hmm. See, they, they, they oftentimes in the afternoon, they call it sundowners. It's just actually say. Greater, greater confusion in the afternoon. And my dad actually we would treat stay up light. all night. You do? Yeah, we treat that with light therapy. How so? So there's a, there's a whole protocol that's actually available from the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. So this is a well-documented effect. It's called sundowner syndrome. Yeah. We see it a lot in the elderly community, especially the, the, the communities, like, you know, the housing. and the, so the, There's a lot of elderly communities where everybody lives in a nursing building, home, yes. nursing homes, things assisted like that, living. elder care, assisted living. Um, there's a lot of utility in having light therapy mm. in those places for those folks because there is a massive amount of confusion, a massive amount of cognitive decline in that population. And when you make it dark early, they get squirrely. Yeah. And they don't like it. But no. when you all, and it, it's not like you have to have light therapy that's sitting in front of their eyeballs. You can actually have a light box that's on the table while they're playing cards. Yeah. And it'll work just as well. Wow. So there's absolutely some of that stuff. So for, your, for people who you know who are having cognitive decline as they get older, they absolutely, again, light is medicine. Yes. Right? So you light have to, is medicine. You have to think about it like that, right? Light is a wavelength that affects our body, right? It's no different than food is medicine, right? It's no different than sound Yeah, sound is, is medicine. medicine as well. That turns the brain on and off. Totally. I mean, with these elders especially. Totally. So if you, if you, th if you know that those two are, are available and work, Light makes perfect sense. Yes. It's just another frequency. And it kind of gets to our discussion about EMFs a little bit, right? Yeah. So if we know that light as a wavelength affects us and we know that sound as a wavelength affects us, 
Could EMFs affect us? I think there's the possibility. Yeah. I just don't have the science to prove it. Yeah, same. I, I feel so, the exact same way. Um, okay, so we're getting towards the end here. I'm so grateful. I mean, this has been just a treasure trove of information. I'm just like, I'm like I can't wait to actually go back and listen to it again myself. Um, in terms of cog, because you know, peak mind is is the title of the show, of course. Um, in terms of, you know, I'll ask, I, I usually end by asking, what does peak mind mean to you? So mm-hmm. I'm kind of giving that away. And you can answer this as a singular question or, or perhaps in two phases. But as it relates to cognitive optimization, okay. which, uh, of which I would say sleep is integral. Yes. But what are the ways in which we can refine our sleep or utilize sleep to optimize our cognition? Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll put an asterisk on there, prevent... I mean, there's a multitude of factors in cognitive decline, but prevents right. from cognitive a sleep decline perspective. from a sleep perspective as we age. Sure. And if you want to throw in other tips, that's uh, more than welcome sure. as well. So when we look at cognition as a whole, it's a super complicated process, yes. right? And so is sleep. Um, they are like this. They are super intertwined. So let's take a look at it, uh, the mental restoration side of sleep during REM sleep in mm-hmm. particular. So we know that during REM sleep, we move information from our short-term memory to our long-term memory. Mm. That is part of that REM process. This actually done electrically. So data comes in through our eyes, through our ears, through our mouth, and our brain creates a chemical, uh, a hormone, not a hormone, a neurotransmitter that sends a signal. That signal is basically like a data packet. Mm. Okay, heads back to the brain. And then during stage three, four sleep, we filter out the stuff that we don't need, not just the proteins like we were talking about before, but leave it or not, the data that we don't want to remember. Mm. And now during REM sleep, we have to find the right filing cabinet the right file drawer, and the right file to put that piece of data into, mm. okay? And that data connects electrically to the other files that are sitting beside it. So if you think about it as a rubric of a filing cabinet or an analysis there, it, it starts to make a little bit of sense. The connection to the other file folders is what we think dreaming is, hmm. okay? So, you know, we get these weird, bizarre, you know, uh, fantastical dreams, right? And so, you know, what is that? That's actually a piece of data that's trying to find its home, right? Somewhere in your brain, yeah. right? And it's just gone, to, there's thousands and thousands of pieces of data coming. So your brain doesn't always get it right, right? So if you, you know, had a dream that you walk downstairs and your, your dog is eating a bowl of spaghetti with your second grade teacher at your kitchen table and you're wondering what the heck is going on, the likelihood is, is you had Italian for dinner, your second grader was talking about something in school which reminded you of your second grade teacher and your dog jumped on the bed, right? And all that information has occurred and for some reason you want to keep that in your head. And that's what's kind of trying to find its way. So we know there's a mental restoration from a memorial standpoint. So when you talk about cognition, you have to talk about memory, right? Because if you don't, because that part of what cognition is, is retrieval of that information. The second part of cognition, I would argue, um, is innovation, right? Mm -hmm. Is creativity, is creating something. That also seems to come from REM sleep. So one of the things that I do, if you want to be at your optimal creatively, one of the things that I tell people is right when you wake up in the morning, after you've had your water, right, you've had your sunlight and you put your feet on the ground, journal for 15 minutes, just whatever's on your mind. You will be shocked at how creative you are and how intuitive you become. Because Because REM sleep is just about the last thing that you have in your sleep cycle. And you have the largest amount of it in the early, early morning times. And that's what we call your creativeness or what I call your groggy greatness. Yeah. Right? Is so the closer your brain is to REM sleep, the more creative you are because you've now compiled all those memories and your brain wants to do something with them. Right? Yes. And so cognitively speaking, and again, I'm going to beat the horse, 
going to bed and waking up at the same time, your brain knows what to do, right? So get the quality sleep that you need, whether that's six hours or nine hours, I don't care. Figure it out, right? You can do the experiment yourself and or be consistent. Yes. If you're consistent, I promise you, you will. Most of my elderly patients, I'm talking about people who are 55, 65, 75, the ones who are doing well, it's all about a routine. It's all about consistency. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting is a lot of them have a military background. Yeah. And they're perfectly cool with that. They're like, this is what I did in the military. This works perfectly for me. And what they find is their energy level is consistent and their alertness is consistent. And that's really what I think a lot of people are, are gunning for is that level of alert energy in the mornings. And I would, I would tell you, it's hydration, yeah. it's consistency, it's lowering the caffeine, not eliminating, but lowering the caffeine. And if you really want to be cognitively on point, you just need to get rid of alcohol. Yeah. I mean, I get it. People like to have a, a drink to relax and wind down, but there's really almost nothing about alcohol from a cognitive perspective that's any good for you. Yeah, I, I've been, you know, I mean, I have nothing against people drinking, but no, I, I, I also, yeah, and then, and I actually thought it was super helpful, the protocol you gave, but I, I stopped in October. I didn't make a hard rule. I was just yeah. like, you know, I think the cost-benefit analysis for me wasn't adding up anymore, yeah. and I have some, you know, I'm working on a book, so it's like I, I, I yeah. got to be sharp. And it's it's amazing the the quality of my sleep is dramatically improved. I mean that, that's just number one. Yep. But two, also like um, not being hungover is it's, uh, massive. it's massive. It's massive. It's massive. I mean to think about the number of days, and I'm not proud of that. I think anyone who's had a couple of drinks, yeah. it's like Ugh. where I was not at my top, or like you know, it's just like I I, I feel like okay, you know what, I wanna I wanna hone that in because the sleep thing is also. Like, I've just recognized how important and monumental sleep is for me, and I'm super keen on dialing in. I can't wait to sort of do this protocol with you. Oh, yeah. well, let me ask you one question uh-huh. that also just came to me as, we're, as you were talking. Fire is away, s- brother. Snooze. I know consistency is important. Getting up at the same time. Let's talk I about will the say, snooze, and I'm but... guilty about this. I do w- set up my sn- uh, wake up, but I, there's a guilty part of me that loves being warm under the covers right. and hitting the freaking snooze button and feeling like I'm cheating, like I'm getting 10 extra minutes. But I, I kind of have a sense it's probably not optimal. But anyway, okay. So we'll let's get, talk about the snooze, the snooze. Yeah. So the single worst invention <laughs> in all of timepieces was the snooze button. Yeah. So the average snooze is between seven and nine minutes long. Mm-hmm. Your body actually can't get into a deep stage of sleep during that period of time. Mm-hmm. So I've got like one snooze. You got it. That's, yeah. that's the prescription. But if you do more than one snooze. Well, all you're doing is you're giving yourself light, fragmented, crappy sleep. I have some patients when I say, you know, raise your hand if you hit the snooze button type of thing, seven times. Yeah. Eight times. Yeah. I mean, people will snooze for an hour before they get out of bed. And it's, it is really not helpful or healthy yeah. in terms of your sleep. One snooze, I get it. And especially for people who are night owls like me. Yeah. It's, it's a good thing for some of us to do. I personally have discovered that if I hit the snooze, I just keep hitting it. So I don't even allow myself to hit the snooze. I, I do it's that too. It's just boom, I'm up and it's ready. And plus the dogs are ready to get up. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of got my little morning routine going. And so I just, I worked my way out of it. But honestly, if you're a night owl, give yourself one snooze. But generally speaking, you really don't need it. So my thing is I'm going to keep my, because I do use my phone as my alarm and I try to keep my electronics outside of the bedroom. Yeah. So I'm just going to keep it out here. I'm gonna, the... Yeah, I'm going to keep it out here and ban, ban, uh, ban the snooze. Yeah. Well, and the Himalayan salt will be helpful because it creates yep. that good ionic free environment. And, you know, I mean, there's a, again, 
just be thoughtful. You yes. don't have to do the, the the goal here is you know we talked about a lot of different topics. We really did, right? And we, we got into chuck full. Yeah, oh yeah, I, that's what I like to do, right? Yeah. So, but remember, everybody, don't do everything. Mm-hmm. Okay, don't be insane about it. If there was one technique or protocol that we discussed here today that folks out there are, say to themselves, you know, I think I could try that. Give it a shot. Yeah. Okay, it's not, I promise you, nothing that I told you today is going to hurt you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I promise you, it is all helpful and healthful yes. information, right? Um, and if you pick one thing, make a consistent wake-up time. Yeah. Do it for two weeks and see how you feel. I'm in. I'm doing that for sure. I promise you, it'll be great. And then if you can if you can do it based on your chronotype, you'll feel even better. Yeah, so where do people find the chronotype? You mentioned the chronotype, but mention it again. And sure. where do people find you online? So I'm super easy to find online. Nobody even has to write down my website. It's thesleepdoctor.com. And doctor is all spelled out, so it's all just one word. So you'll never forget that. Um, the book, the quiz is on chronoquiz.com. Yep. Um, so you can find it there. You, also, if you go to my website, there's a link to get you to the Chrono Quiz. So don't worry. If you just remember the sleep doctor, you'll be in good shape. Um, and um, people can find me on Facebook. People can find me on Twitter. I've got a decent Instagram following. I do a lot of um, facts and a lot of tips and a lot of things like that. So if people want to check it out, it's all over social. We, we really try to give people a lot of good information. And then I have a blog um, that comes out twice a week. So one is on a defined topic, and then one is kind of like things that I learned this week about sleep or research or some article that caught my eye that I kind of dove a little bit deeper into. Um, and, and every topic you can imagine is on there. And, and then again, I do have my sleep optimization course yep. that people can take. I actually have three courses that I have available online. One is like a kind of a tune-up if you will. Sure. Um, one is really for people with insomnia, not necessarily insomnia per se, but sleeplessness. It goes through a whole uh, process. And then one is this full-on sleep optimization course, which is what I'm going to get you to do. <laughs> I'm in, baby. I can't, I, can't, I can't wait. And I'll report back on how Please it goes. Do. Um, final question. Fire away. First of all, thank you. I just want to acknowledge you. I really appreciate so many of us. I mean, sleep is obviously how many of us spend I would say a minimum of a third of our life, but uh, uh, a great portion of our life and yet have very little consideration as to how to do it with quality. Right. So very grateful for the, the, the treasure trove of information that you are and that you, you stand for and you share so willingly. Yeah. Um, what is your definition of peak mind? So for me, I I didn't find my peak mind for a while, mm. right? And look, I've been in academic circles for 30 years. Um, for me, what I discovered was, because I, I would, used to consider myself to be a very heady, intellectually kind of guy, and that was where I got my peak mind from. Mm. There's a physical component to peak mind. When I started intermittent fasting, supplementation, and really digging into my health, that's when it all turned around for me. And I thought I had a peak mind before that, mm. but it was a combination of movement, fasting, and good sleep. Those three things really had me turn that corner. And now all of a sudden, dude, I'm firing on all cylinders all the time. Like, I'm happy to, like, I could talk for another three hours <laughs> about that, you know. But those were the three components for me personally yeah. that, that really, really helped move the needle. And I would argue for anybody who wants a peak mind, if sleep is not part of that equation, you're selling yourself short. So right. Thank you for that. My pleasure, dude. Really appreciate you. Yeah, I look forward to our next conversation. And that was 
honestly chuck full like it was like knowledge bomb boom 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 it was just like okay i was like i literally i can't wait i'm gonna like later <laughs> go back and listen to this because i'm like all right i'm at one consistent timing movement yeah. intermittent fa- i mean like it, there's about to be a lot of changes so yeah thank you take them small a yes. little at a time so you one, don't get one percent better every day is yeah. my goal oh yeah. dude you'll be there <laughs> all right thanks dr yeah, appreciate you man yeah, my pleasure that was fun And there you have it. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Dr. Michael Bruce. I know that I did. I found tremendous uh, value in his shares around sleep and sleep optimization. I will be incorporating them into my life, starting with uh, setting a regular wake-up time, getting that movement in, getting that intermittent fasting, and a lot of the other uh, principles he discussed. If you liked the episode, please go ahead and leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Uh, It helps us move up the algorithm, build the community, and it means the world to me. Uh, You can also please share it if there's someone in your life that you think could really benefit from this information and optimize their sleep. Go ahead and share it. Take a screen grab on Instagram. You can tag us at Michael Trainer and The Sleep Doctor. And uh, let us know the value that you got from it. I always love your comments. Feedback is always welcome on, you know, guests or questions. I try to respond to everyone. Um, Instagram's the best way to reach me at Michael Trainer. And uh, you can also check us out. I just modified the website, and I'll be writing a blog about this uh, episode, so you can check it out. Um, I'll link to it in the show notes. It's uh, it's going to be uh, pretty exciting. Uh, currently, uh, MichaelTrainer.co. And uh, I think you'll get a lot of value out of it. I hope you uh, enjoy and I hope you are inspired. And it's my great pleasure to, to be building this community and sharing with you some of the m- more epic humans on the planet that can hopefully help you live your best life. So with that, please go out there and live your inspired life.